That wasn't good enough. Good morning. May I tell you, after that time of worship, so much energy, so much joy in that. Wasn't that awesome? Let's hear it for our worship team. I am, I am warmed up, man. I'm ready to preach. Are you guys ready to hear? I'll, I will tell you this. When I got back in the back, my, I've got one of those phones that tells you like when you're exercising, how long you exercised, and gives you a little kudos when you do it. So I get in the back, and my phone buzzes, and I look down, and it says, good workout. Keep it up. <laughs> So another blessing of being in church, you get to do uh, worship aerobics. So there was a young man who recently completed this course in first aid, and he comes bursting into his instructor's office excited. He goes, it works, it works. What you taught us works. And the guy goes, what works? Well, let me tell you about it. He says, I was driving down the street, and I saw a horrible accident up ahead. I was the first one on the scene, ran out of my car, went to that car that was in the accident, opened the door, pried open the door, and I looked and I saw that the driver was slumped over on the steering wheel. He was unconscious. There was blood coming out everywhere. And I remembered what you taught us. And I knew exactly what to do. I remembered that if I were to bend over and put my head between my knees, I would not throw up. It's a blessing to know first aid, is it not? You know... All kidding aside, it really is a blessing. First of all, it's a blessing to us. If you know first, first aid, it's a blessing to you. As you know what to do to take care of yourself in the event that you get sick or injured or feel like you might throw up. But along with that, of course, first aid is meant to allow you to be a blessing to others. And the Christian life is the same. We are blessed in order to be what? A blessing to others. I am blessed to be a blessing. Say that with me. I am blessed to be a blessing. Say it again. I am blessed to be a blessing. And that's kind of been a common thread that's run throughout this series. And this, this also, and this is something I don't want you to forget. This is something I want to, you to plant in your heart and in your head far beyond this series. And that is this truth that the more God can get blessings through you, the more God will get blessings to you. You say that again. The more God can get blessings through you to others, the more God will get blessings to you. Get it? Good. Now, Ephesians 1, Paul writes this. Let's read it out loud together. All praise to God. I don't hear you reading. Let's all read this out loud together. Ready? All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing heaven has to offer through Christ. Now, underline those words, every spiritual blessing. How many of you all know that's a lot of spiritual blessing? Yeah. And so are we responsible also with those spiritual blessings that we get from God? Are we responsible to use those to be a blessing to others as well? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, those are too numerous for us to list, so we're just going to talk about a few here. Number one, God has blessed you with a church that you might be a blessing to others. Now, there's a lot of criticism directed toward the church, and it seems to be on the rise. You know, those that feel like the church is expendable, it's not useful anymore, it's not needed. Now, there's plenty wrong with the church. Acknowledge that. There's no such thing as a perfect church. This certainly isn't a perfect church. We all make mistakes. Just 
an example. I want you to listen to some of these excerpts out of church bulletins. This evening at 7 p.m., there will be a hymn singing in the park across from the church. Bring a blanket and come prepared to sin. <laughs> Just missing that one letter sure changed the meaning, right? I hear that was their record attendance at a church picnic. <laughs> Listen to these. At the evening service tonight, the sermon topic will be, What is hell? Come early and listen to our choir practice. <laughs> Ladies, don't forget the rummage sale. It's a chance to get rid of those things lying around house not worth keeping. Bring your husbands. <laughs> this being Easter Sunday, we will ask the pastor's wife to come forward and lay an egg on the altar. A bean supper will be held on Tuesday evening in the church hall. Entertainment will follow. <laughs> the doors will be open at the south and the north ends of the church. Children will be baptized at both ends. <laughs> so, you know, as imperfect as the church is, the church was actually God's idea. It's a, it's a God institution, not a human institution. And the, the church is meant to be a necessary part of living the blessed life. In fact, let me put it this way. You cannot live the blessed life God has for you if you're not involved in a church, if you're not part of a church family. I want you to watch this video that speaks of some of the ways that the church is a blessing. <laughs> My church is open and inviting. My church is a place where there's always going to be a merciful response to what I'm going through. They accept me for who I am. I can come regardless of what's going on in my life. It's a place where I feel safe. My church is a place of forgiveness. It's grace-filled. It's a place where there's mercy for me. My church is a great place to learn about God. There's always something new, and I always seem to relate to what is going on. My church is one of the most creative and inspiring places that I go every week, sometimes twice. It's a place where my kids have a great time, and they're learning, and I know that they are safe. My church is a place where I can come and use my talents and can help other people. My church is a place of healing. Just gives us that extra support that sometimes is hard to ask for. Anything I go through, there's other people and probably a group that are going through it too, and I can join with them. My church is open and inviting. It's grace-filled. Fun, loving, creative, peaceful, healing, accepting, real, full of God, invigorating, welcoming, freeing, honest. It's a place where God is alive. It's my soft place to fall. My church is where my family has started a story. It's a place of hope, healing, forgiveness, and grace. My church brought me back to life. It's a place that I will always call home. I love my church, and my church is a lot like that. I love you, church. Thanks. 
You know, my blessing has, has my, my church has been a blessing to me and, and to my family. And, and I hope you have found that to be true here as well. I don't think you would be here if that wasn't the case. Listen, I personally, I mean this with all my heart, I would not want to do life without my church family. Um, the church is meant to be a blessing for me, but not just for me. I am blessed. We are blessed to be a what? A blessing to others. And that means that we're meant to also to be a steward of the blessings that God has provided for us. So how do we do that? How are we a good steward of the blessing of the church? Let me give you three ways. Commit, invest, invite. Say those with me. Commit, invest, invite. One more time. Commit, invest, invite. First of all, commit to your church. If this is the church that you go to, even once in a while, hey, commit. Commit. Don't make it once in a while. Commit. Decide, whether it's this church or another church, decide this is where I want to plant my roots. This is where I believe God would have me. This will be my church family. Now, what that entails, committing and being a part of the church family here at Real Life Church, means going through our Connect classes, which we talk about every week, and, uh, and becoming a member. And let me just say this to you, that we would love, if you're looking for a church home, we would love to have you become part of our church family. It would be an honor for us to have you. And if we're not the church family that you're looking for, if you're looking for something different, let us know. It's that important for you to be involved in a church family that if it's not ours, we want to help you find the right church for you in our city. Well, after commit, invest. Invest. Being part of a church is more than just having a donut and a cup of coffee and then sitting in here for an hour and a half, although that's kind of cool. But being a part of a church means to invest. Invest. Now, the church is called the what of Christ? The bride, what else is it called? The, the body, right. And so who is the head of the body of Christ? Christ is. And then who are the individual parts of the body of Christ? Who are the individual parts? On the count of three, I want you to point to a part of the body of Christ. One, two, three, point. Yeah. All, all, yeah, yeah. Each of us, right? And look at what Ephesians 4.16 says. Under Christ's control, all the different parts of the body fit together so each separate part works as it should. Raise your hand if you're in each part. So, each separate part works as it should. The whole body, when each part works as it should, the whole body grows and builds itself through love. What Paul is saying here is that each part, each one of us, has to do our part in order for the church to be all it should be, to grow in love and to grow in maturity and to accomplish everything God has for us. When I was young, I went to a Harlem Globetrotters game. Any of y'all ever been to a Harlem Globetrotters game? Yeah, it's a blast. They make their way through Las Cruces once in a while. And back then, the star of the Harlem Globetrotters was this guy named Meadowlark Lemon. How many of y'all remember Meadowlark Lemon? 
crown, the clown prince of basketball, they said. <laughs> now, it, it, at this particular game, I remember him, so this loose ball goes up in the stands, and he goes chasing after the ball up in the stands. But rather than come back down, he takes a seat, steals a guy's popcorn next to him, steals a Coke from somebody else, and just sits there and, to watch the game. And so his teammates are shouting at him to get back on the court, get back on the court. And he goes, why? And they say, because you don't belong up there in the stands. You belong down here on the court with us. And so they made him beg and beg, and finally they coaxed him into coming back down and getting in the game. You know, as part of the church, you are not meant to sit in the stands and be a spectator. You are meant to be on the court to be in the game, investing your time by serving in the church and your talents by serving in the church and serving with the church, our community, and by investing your treasure by giving faithfully to the church. So the third thing, commit, invest, and what? Invite. Do other people out in the world, do other people that don't know Christ, do other people that don't have a church family need this, need to be part of a church? Yes. Every person. Like I said, the blessed life that God has for all of us to live cannot be lived apart from the church, which means that if we have compassion and love for others, we will want them to find a church family, whether it's ours or somebody else's, so they can fully experience the blessed life God has for them. You know, we have, we've tried to make it pretty easy for you to invite people to the church so that they can have the experience of a church home. We've got these invite cards. Pastor Roy talks about them pretty often. These are available on the different racks that we have around our, our campus. They're available on the Welcome Center. I'm going to encourage you to do what Pastor Roy talked about last week. Take a handful of these. Keep them with you at all times. And do your best to give out just two every week. And listen, it can be as simple as just leaving one at your table when you go to a restaurant, leaving it for the waitress. But please, the waiter, make sure you tip well <laughs> when you put the name of our church down on, on, on a table. Nothing will drive people away from our church more than cheap tippers. Get it? Good. You know, we're going to practice this a little bit. I want you just to repeat after me so you know how this works. It's very simple. You just say something like this. If you don't have a church home, why don't you join me at my church? Let's try that. If you don't have a church home, why don't you join me at my church? Turn to your neighbors and tell that to your neighbors just so that we practice that. Go ahead. Invite your neighbor to church even though they're already here. Now make sure you tell them, make sure you tell them, now look at them and say, we have a great church and an awesome pastor. Yeah. Can, can I tell you something? You're not supposed to laugh when you say you have an awesome pastor. You hurt my feelings. Ah, thank you, buddy. You are too, Jesse James. Number two. God has blessed you with prayer that you might be a blessing to others. Now, is prayer meant to be a blessing to us? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, is green chili the breakfast of champions? Yes. <laughs> P- 
prayer. Talk about blessing. The privilege of speaking to God. Knowing that he wants to hear from us even more than we want to be able to speak to him. Jeremiah 33.3 says this. This is God speaking to us. And he says, call to me. Speaking to you. He says, invite you. Call to me and I will what? I will answer you. Of course, you've got to hear to answer. I will hear and answer you. And I will show you great and mighty things that you don't, don't know. That you can't comprehend with human intellect alone. Listen, we have a God who promises to listen and to give an answer to do great and mighty things in us and for us and through us with every prayer. What a blessing. Do you remember the story? Speaking about God's anxiousness and willingness to answer prayer. Remember the story of Elijah and the prophets of Baal. This is in the book of 1 Kings. And Elijah calls God's people together because they're wishy-washy. They, they want to worship Baal sometimes. They want to worship Jehovah God sometimes. And so Elijah calls them to, 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 to make a decision. Choose one or the other. And so he proposes this contest between him and the prophets of Baal, which there's 450 prophets of Baal. And here's what the contest will be. He says, we're, we're both going to set up altars, and we're going to put a sacrifice on our altars And then we're going to take turns and we're each going to call for our God. We're going to pray and ask our God to send fire from heaven to burn up the sacrifice. And whosoever God answers that prayer, we will declare that God to be the winner. That God is God. And so the prophets of Baal go first. I'm going to read to you the account of what happens from the Living Bible because it actually... As crude, crude as it is, it translates this really well, accurately. 1 Kings 18, 26 says, The 450 prophets of Baal uh, called to Baal all morning, shouting, O Baal, hear us! But there was no reply of any kind. Then they began to dance around the altar. I'm sure it was something ungodly, like the Macarena. <laughs> Isn't that ungodly? Can you believe you just saw that at church? Let me get my composure back. 27. About noon, Elijah began mocking them. This is not politically correct, by the way. This is not something that you want to do, like, at a local mosque or something. He, he, this is how he reacts. He begins to mock them. You'll have to shout louder than that, he scoffed, to catch the attention of your God. Perhaps he is talking to someone or is out sitting on the toilet. Accurate translation of the original Hebrew. Or maybe he is away on a trip or is asleep and needs to be wakened. You know, just real quick sidebar here. If all religions are basically the same and lead to the same God, then somebody didn't tell Elijah. So they shouted louder, as was their custom. They cut themselves with knives and swords until blood gushed out of them. They raved all afternoon until the time of the evening sacrifice, but there was no reply, no voice, no answer. They did this for nine hours straight without stopping. Nine hours of trying to get the attention of their God 
No answer. So now it's Elijah's turn. He tells his servants, go get four barrels of water and pour it all over the sacrifice in the altar. Go do it again. They do it again. Go do it again. They do it again. So by the time they're finished, basically the, the altar and the sacrifice are sitting in a pond. And let's pick up the story from there, 1 Kings 18, 36. Elijah walked up to the altar and he prayed, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, prove today that you are the God of Israel and that I am your servant and prove that I have done all these things at your command. O Lord, answer me. Answer me so these people will know that you are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Then suddenly fire flashed down from heaven. It burned up the young bull, the wood, the stones, the dust, even evaporated all the water in the ditch. And when the people saw it, they fell to their faces upon the ground and shouted, shout it with me, Jehovah is God. Jehovah is God. I think they said it, Jehovah is God. Prayer of one person, two sentences long. That's all it took. And God was ready to answer, and he answered with a great and mighty display of his power. You know, the actions of those prophets of Baal and what they were trying to do remind me of when I was in China and I visited a Buddhist temple there. And on one side of this big temple was this uh, huge bell, and on the other side was this huge drum. And what they were there for is before they began their prayers, they would clang on that bell loudly for a period of time and they would beat on the drum loudly for a period of time because what they were doing is they were trying to get the attention of their God so he would listen to their prayers. And I thought, how sad to have a God like that. You know, we don't have to do that. We don't have to ring bells. We don't have to beat drums. We don't have to shout, do cartwheels. We don't have to cut ourselves or do the Macarena. We don't have to do any of those things to get the attention of our God and to get his answers. All we have to do is whisper or even just think the name Jesus. And he listens with a heart filled with love. You know, what a blessing for us to have that, to be able to enjoy time with God. And to be able to lay before him our concerns and our needs. And to know that his great and mighty answers are on the way for our good and for his glory. So prayer is not just meant to be a blessing to us. We are blessed to be a, we are blessed to be a blessing. And so prayer is meant for us to use to be a blessing to others. And being a good steward of prayer means that we learn that we know that God desires to do great and mighty things in, through, and for others, and we have a part in that by praying for Him. That we need to learn to, to pray for people and, and to pray in our quiet time and, you know, in church. But we also need to learn to pray the way Christ's disciples prayed for others, as we see in the book of Acts. And I want to encourage you to Read through the book of Acts and see how they prayed for people. Let me tell you what the disciples did not do. When someone came to them with a need or when they were made aware of a need, they didn't say, well, I'll pray for you, and they walk off. And they didn't say, I'll put you on the prayer letter and then walk off. Although those are great things. 
But you know what the disciples did? Again, look at this. When the disciples were made aware of a need, they prayed for that person right then and there. And they prayed with authority, and they prayed boldly in the name of Jesus. They said, in the name of Jesus, be healed, be well, rise and walk, come out, whatever the need was. And listen, because we have the same Holy Spirit living in us that was in the disciples. And because we have the same mission to bring the kingdom of God upon this earth that the disciples did. And because we have the same authority to pray in the name of Jesus the disciples had, those stories of the disciples praying are not just meant to be inspiring stories for us. They're meant to be an example for how we should pray. And I'm learning to do that. You know, if you come to me and you ask me to pray for you, if you have a need you want me to pray for, I'm going to pray for you right then and there. I don't care if we're in a restaurant, if we're at Walmart, or if we're at church. I'm going to pray for you right there. So if, you don't, if that's embarrassing to you, don't ask me to pray for you. <laughs> and I'm going to pray boldly. And I'm going to pray with the authority that, that Jesus has given me. And I'm going to pray in the name of Jesus, be healed. In the name of Jesus, I speak, and for his glory, I speak health and healing and strength over your body, over your mind, over your spirit, over your family, or whatever it is that your need is. Because that's how the disciples did it. And I'm a disciple. You know, Terry and I have been praying for people like that. And in, in restaurants, and in line at the grocery store, and in parking lots, whenever we become aware of a need, we just stop and we pray like that. And we have seen God do some great and mighty things, some cool things. And I'm going to tell you, whether or not we see the answer right then and there, what we do see is people that are blown away by gratitude and by just a sense of God's love for them. So let me tell you what else it means to be a good steward of prayer. Hang on to your seats. This might be controversial, but it shouldn't be because it's in the Bible. 1 Timothy 2. Paul writes to Timothy, and as pastor, Timothy being pastor of the church of Ephesus, this is meant to go to all the people in Ephesus, and therefore it's meant to go to all of us in the church. But he writes this. First of all, I ask that you pray for all people. Ask God, listen to this, ask God to bless them and give them what they need and give thanks for them. Now here goes. This is going to be the controversial part. He says that we should pray that way for these people coming up next. You should pray for your rulers. Who is the ruler of our country right now? The president. What's his name? Don, say, say Donald Trump. And he says, pray for all who have authority. He says, pray for these leaders so that we can live quiet and peaceful lives, lives full of devotion to God and respect for him. This is good and pleases God, our Savior. Do you know who the ruler was of the Roman Empire of which Israel was a part? Do you know who the ruler was at the time that Paul wrote this? A, a gem of a guy named Nero. Now, if you know anything about Nero, Nero was immoral. He was corrupt. He was power mad. He persecuted and tried to exterminate Christians from Rome completely. 
And the way he did that was in some of the most cruel fashion. He would have Christians impaled on the end of poles, their bodies coated in tar, lit on fire, and he used them to light his gardens at night. This is the guy that Paul says they should pray for continually. Pray that God would bless him, give him what he needs, and thank God for him. Well, what do you think Paul would say we should do for our president today? Ask God to bless him, give him what he needs, and thank God for him. Now, I don't care what party you identify with. If the first century church could pray for Nero in that way, we can pray for our president that way. So we're going to go to number four. We're not skipping number three. We'll come back to it. But go to number four. We are blessed with forgiveness to be a blessing. Every once in a while, I get asked this question, why do I preach on forgiveness so often? Forgiveness is so basic. It's like, why don't we go deeper? And it's almost as if that question is something, includes something like this. Get over it already. Let's move on. King David never got over. He never moved on from God's forgiveness, from being set free from guilt and shame and condemnation for his sin, especially his sin of adultery and murder. It never left his heart, never left his mind, not even, I would say, for a day. As Paul writes this about him in Romans 4, God declares sinners to be good in his sight, that is righteous, if they have faith in Christ. King David spoke of this, describing the happiness of an undeserving sinner who is declared not guilty by God. Blessed and to be envied, he said, are those whose sins are forgiven and put out of sight. Read verse 8 out loud with me. Yes, what joy there is for anyone whose sins are no longer counted against him by the Lord. You know, God's forgiveness and his love was reason for gratitude and joy every single day of his life. Do you have that kind of gratitude and joy over being forgiven by God? You know, one day Jesus was having dinner in the house of a man named Simon. The guy was a Pharisee. This woman comes into the house, and she was a known sinner, the Bible tells us. She comes in. She's got a jar filled with perfume, a rare, expensive perfume, and she's weeping. And as she comes to Jesus, she comes in and, and gets up to his feet and gets on her knees, and the tears fall on Jesus' feet, and she wipes the tears off of his feet with her hair. And then she pours perfume on Jesus' feet, and she kisses his feet over and over again, it says. And Simon was disgusted by the whole thing. And Jesus rebuked him. And he said, you know, 
When I came into your home, even though I came as your guest and you invited me here, you didn't even offer me the normal courtesies that you'd invite, you'd give to anybody that came into your home. You didn't greet me with a kiss. She hasn't stopped kissing my feet since she arrived. You didn't anoint my head with oil. She's anointed my feet with costly perfume. You didn't give me water to wash my feet. She's been washing my feet with her tears and drying them with her hair. And the reason, Jesus said, for this is that in your heart, you have been forgiven so little. In her heart, she's been forgiven so much. And then he said, in Luke 7, 47, those who are forgiven much, love much. Those who have been forgiven little, love little. If you feel like you've been forgiven little, What's the solution? Go out and sin more so that you have more to be forgiven and more your love grows? No. Sorry, we're not that kind of church. The solution is to understand how much you really have been forgiven. How costly it was to pay for your forgiveness. James 2.10 says this, for the person who keeps all the laws except one is as guilty as a person who has broken all of God's laws. So you may not have committed murder, but I'm going to tell you, your sins were bad enough that Jesus had to suffer the same way and die on the cross the same way as he had to for a murderer. Without the cross, without God's forgiveness, your fate would be the same as a murderer's. Eternity in hell. Is, is forgiveness... A big deal? Yeah. And a tremendous blessing that we should be grateful for every day. But it's not meant for just us. We are blessed to be what? A blessing. And so the proper response for forgiveness is not simply to enjoy it, which we should, but to offer that blessing to others. To be changed and transformed by God's forgiveness. You know, as Charles Spurgeon said, the one characteristic that should distinguish Christians from all other people on the earth is our forgiveness. So on the other side of things, little hinders us from experiencing the blessed life that God desires for us than unforgiveness. Little steals away our joy like unforgiveness. So Jesus tells a parable about this man who owes this huge debt of money to his king. It says he owes him 10,000 talents. Now, to give you an idea what this is, a talent is the equivalent of 16 years of wages. So at today's federal minimum wage, that would be $2.4 billion this guy owes. That's what I call abusing your credit cards. Where is Dave Ramsey when you need him, huh? So he begs his king for mercy, says that he will pay him back. Yeah, right. Who's the guy I think he is? Lloyd Christmas? The king, some of you know who that is. <laughs> the king not only has mercy on him, he forgives the debt. Oh, happy day. And so this guy leaves the king's presence and you know, as he's, as he's walking down the street, going on his way, he's skipping with joy. And as he's skipping with joy, he happens to bump into a friend who owes him 100 denarii. 
100 denarii is about $6,000. So just like what he had just asked the king to do for him, this guy asks him to do for him. As the great theologian Yogi Berra once said, it's deja vu all over again. And since this first man had been forgiven so much, had been forgiven 400,000 times more than his friend, he did the same thing, had mercy on him and forgave him, right? No. Matthew 18, 30, but his creditor wouldn't wait. He had the man arrested and put in prison until the debt could be paid in full. Word gets back to the king about what his servant did. He's not happy. Verses 32 through 33, Then the king called in the man he had forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? And he had him thrown into the same prison that he had his friend thrown into. Listen, God not only wants you to be forgiven, he wants you to be a forgiver like he is. And by the way, forgiveness not, doesn't just bless the person you forgive. Actually, it blesses you, the forgiver, more. One of the points of this story, this parable, is unforgiveness becomes a prison that you put yourself into. A prison of hatred and anger and bitterness and resentment and on and on. Nothing is more blessed than forgiveness, uh, both to be forgiven and to forgive others. To be set free from guilt and shame by being forgiven and being set free from anger and hatred and bitterness and resentment by forgiving. To be filled with the joy of being forgiven by God and the joy of forgiving others. Listen, the blessed life is not only a forgiven life, it is a forgiving life. You are blessed to be what? A blessing. I'm going to go back to point three now. We are blessed with the gospel to be a blessing. We know, I think most of us here, we know. We've received, we've been redeemed, we've been changed, we've been blessed by the gospel, by the good news, by the amazing, incredible story of God's love for us. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world, the people of the world, you and me, God so loved you, that he gave the life of his only son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, whoever puts his or her trust in him, shall not perish, but will have what? Eternal life. Have you been blessed by that? Oh, yeah. Let me ask again. Have you been blessed by that? So enjoy that. Be blessed by that. You know, the scripture, our, the Westminster Confession says this, the chief end, the greatest purpose of man is to glorify God and to enjoy him forever greatest purpose is to enjoy God forever, to enjoy 
his love for us and to love him in return for eternity. What a blessing. But don't hoard that blessing because others need what you have found. They need to hear the message that's transformed your life. Paul writes in Romans 1, 15 through 16. Listen to this. So I really want to preach the good news. Let me say this. Every single one of us here should be able to declare exactly what Paul does here. This is not just for missionaries. It's not for preachers or pastors. Every one of us is called to this. Every one of us should be able to say, I really want to preach the good news. I am not ashamed of this good news because I know it is the power of God to save everyone who believes. That's your privilege. As a child of God, as somebody who's received this blessing of the gospel, that is your privilege now to share that with others. It's the power of God to save everyone who believes. And then Philemon 1.6 says this, I pray, and this is speaking to us again, I pray that as you share your faith with others, it's not if you share your faith with others. Again, he's talking to each of us here, and it's expected that we will share our faith. And if we don't know how, we'll learn how. He says, I pray that as you share this amazing, wonderful gospel and faith that has transformed and blessed your life, I pray that it will grip their lives, the people that you share it with too, as they see the wealth of good things, the wealth of blessing in you that come from who? Christ Jesus. Learn to share your faith. What a privilege to be able to not only receive this message and be transformed by this message, but then to offer this message to others. But listen, before you have a story to share, or before you can share a story, you have to have a story to share. Do you know Christ as your Savior? Have you received God's forgiveness? Have you asked Christ to come into your heart and life with His power, with His Holy Spirit, to give you the power to live the life that God desires? And if you can't remember a time that you've done that, I'm going to give you the opportunity to do that right now. So would we all, could we all bow our heads and close our eyes for just a moment? And if you would like to make sure that you belong to Jesus Christ, that you have been forgiven, and that His Holy Spirit lives in you, if you want to make sure, if you're not sure, then I'm going to invite you to pray this prayer out loud after me. And, and I want us all to pray this together. If you've already prayed this before, this is just a confession of your faith. But especially if you've never given your life to Christ or you're not sure, Pray this prayer out loud after me now. Pray this. Heavenly Father, I admit to you that I've sinned. I've not lived life as you desired me to. But I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he came to this earth as a man. I believe that he suffered and died on a cross. I believe that he rose from the dead and is alive today. 
Jesus, I receive your forgiveness. I open the door of my heart and life to you. Come into me. Give me the power to live the life that you desire. A blessed life. And I thank you for hearing my prayer. And again, please just for a moment, we're still with heads bowed and eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer to give your life to Christ, to trust him to forgive you, would you raise your hand so I can see it? Keep your hand up. Keep your hand up. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Keep your hand up, please. And here's one thing I want you to do. Be bold with me just for a moment. I'm not going to embarrass you. But I want you to, if you have your hand up, keep your hand up. And now I want you to open your eyes and make eye contact with me. Look over here so, I can, so you can see me. Thank you. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks over here. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. And keep your eyes open because I'm going to talk to you here in just a sec. Thank you. See that? So look, look at me real quickly. I want you to know that Jesus heard your prayer. There's no doubt. You can take him at his word. If you prayed to be forgiven and you prayed for him to come into your heart, he's there. And you know what? He's always going to be there. Because from this moment on, you belong to him. He's in you. He's never going to leave you. You are his son. You are his daughter. That is never going to change. And you have eternal life in Jesus Christ. And you have a new power from this day forward. Scripture says you're a new person. And you have a new power to live the life, the blessed life that God has for you. And right now, the Bible says that all the angels in heaven are celebrating your decision to trust in Christ. And you know what? We want to celebrate with you, and we want to be the first to welcome you into God's family. Let's do that, church. Let me ask you one thing before I surrender the uh, stage and, and we go to communion. If you did pray, would you just do me a favor? And at the end of the service, my wife Terry and I are going to be here at the front. Would you please just come and shake our hands and just let us welcome you into God's family? This is not meaning you're joining the church. This is you're joining God's family, which is much bigger than this church. But we just want to welcome you and congratulate you and even say a quick prayer for you. And uh, if you would also let us know that you made that decision by filling out the guest card, and there's a place in there that says that you made a decision to trust in Christ, because we want to get into your hands uh, some materials just to help you understand what Christ has done for you and, and uh, more about this blessed life that he has for you. So again, welcome. Welcome to God's family. And we're going to go to the...